Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Imperial Beverage Presents Another Round. My name is Jacob, and today we're going to be talking to Bee Nectar, an organization that's located in Michigan. And I've got some of the guys here to talk about what the, what the organization does, how they got started, and the beverages that they make. So without further ado, thank you guys for joining us. I appreciate you guys all being here. Thank you for having us. Excited to be here. Do you guys mind introducing yourselves a little bit and what your roles are in the organization, how you started, and what the organization does? Yeah, uh, my name's Lee. Uh, yeah, I've been in production for two and a half years, but collectively, all together with all my jobs, I've been here for, I think, a little over seven. I started on the packaging line, just answered the ad and you know worked my way up through all the different roles, uh, a large stint in uh, shipping, receiving, moving warehouses, and uh, a little bit of everything here, just about. I am Brad Dahlhofer, co-founder of Bee Nectar here. Uh, my wife and I started this as almost just like a, not really a joke, but we also weren't quite taking it all that seriously in the very beginning because it was just supposed to be a side business. Uh, I was a home brewer since 98. And in 2006, my wife, Carrie, a uh, co-founder, uh, lost her job and drinking some of my home brew. She's like, we should start a meadery. I'll make the labels and you make the mead. And yeah, let's just, you know, we'll just sell it locally and no big deal. And wasn't going to quit my, my background is in uh, computer networking, design, software architecture for in logistics for the big three. Uh, we ran and designed all the expedite freight software for, for all the big three in the tier one suppliers. So I got a lot of experience in logistics, but uh I wasn't going to leave that job for, you know, starting a meadery uh, until I got laid off in 2008. We hadn't quite opened yet, but we looked at each other and we just said, let's go for it. And not really having a business plan, we're like, well, we can self-distribute and sell to local stores and we'll fake it till we make it. And uh, we faked it a lot. And then, <laughs> you know, just kept reinvesting over and over and over. So uh, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for the wholesale side, having been the guy to load up my you know Hyundai Elantra full of cases and schlep it all over the state of Michigan. I'm Steve Sterlecki. I um, am the director of sales, and I've been with Bee Nectar for about seven years. And I started out the same way Lee did. I answered the ad and started out in sales in the on the west side of the state in Grand Rapids and grew into Illinois and Wisconsin, Ohio, Minnesota, Indiana. Now I'm the director of all states of the 25 states of distribution. That's fantastic. Those were all major uh, changes that happened in Michigan during that time. I remember when the big three started doing layoffs in 2008. That's really wild uh, to connect that event to the start of something like Bee Nectar. That it's a crazy story for sure. I mean, you know, when you've got a big recession like that to to go out on a limb and and start a business making a product most people have never even heard of uh, is already hard enough. But to really, you know really add to it. We had a three-month-old baby at the time. So when we launched, I was taking my son around in the car seats with the cases of mead. And But, you know, it makes for such a great story, I think. I mean, it's been picked up numerous times by media, like locally, nationally. Um, you know, we, we've definitely used it to our advantage. And it, it actually really helped us because having gone through starting up with, with um, being undercapitalized, no experience in this industry in the worst recession we've had in decades 
it definitely prepared us for COVID. Yeah, if you can overcome that, you COVID, what? <laughs> I wish I could say it was that easy. But yeah, you know, it's one of those, hey, we got through that, we can get through this, you know. That's that's awesome. I love it. When did you guys start distributing with Imperial? Uh, I don't remember the exact date because it didn't all happen at once. Um, see, but being the fact, we, we were small. We started this whole company on about $15,000 total. So every dime mattered. And I knew that nobody was going to be able to describe the product and get people as excited about it as I would out in the market. So I was self-distributing everything at first. But then after a while, we realized, all right, we're starting to do draft. And I think it was not until after Zombie Killer came around in about 2011 or 12. We knew that the on-premise accounts were very particular about what days they wanted to meet with people. And around that time, we just said, look, we're never going to really grow our draft business if we're doing it ourselves. Right. And so I had already been approached by one of the sales guys, you know, an account manager at Imperial Long, you know, from almost the very beginning, they kind of heard about us. Uh, that evolved into conversations with Joe Cipolla, and we really just hit it off. And I said, Joe, look, I need this extra margin to really cover my initial overhead, but I need help with the on-premise stuff. And, he, and Imperial ended up taking over like draft only. Um, and they took that over like everywhere but Metro Detroit. And then eventually we said, all right, take the off-premise as well and extend everything except for like Oakland, Macomb, Wayne, Washington. And we were self-distributing out of like an Econoline van. Uh, We had like one salesperson and they were still handling it. But we also eventually said, you know what, Imperial? Talk to Joe. I said, you know, Joe, what if you guys handle on-premise in Oakland, Macomb, Wayne, Washington too? And then it finally evolved into, okay, just take all of it. And, And it... It was like a long evolution over, you know, many years. Yeah. I mean, that, there's a number <laughs> of other organizations that start off kind of small and it's, it's, but I'm actually a big fan of your beverages. I've been enjoying them, not just as like an Imperial employee, but I, I moved here from Atlanta a few years ago and I've seen your stuff and I've been able to taste it. And just this weekend, I was enjoying some of the, uh, the orange cream mead that uh, we had some I, my fridge it never doesn't have bean nectar in it yeah period sometimes <laughs> damaged cases has become one of the best sales tools for us in a way like i've never been afraid to do samples you know we, we started this company by literally going to every homebrew event or talk about you know beer dinners or stuff like style guideline nights and just giving samples away, letting people taste it. And we always said, look, you know, you can attract somebody the first time with the branding and whatnot, but it's the flavor that'll bring them back. But once, and then sometimes people won't try something, but once they've tasted it, we've got them, we got them hooked because it's the, the products aren't really good. For sure. So what ended up getting you guys on the path of like the zombie killer ciders? Well, funny enough, I had already been doing what, what I always called session meads. And I always liked the term session meads, even back as a home brewer, because, you know, we, we thought of session beers and we started making higher alcohol stuff. But, you know, I always wanted lower alcohol meads. I couldn't just keep drinking these big high alcohol ones all the time. They're great. I enjoy them. But it, it wasn't what my passion was. But when we first opened, the equipment 
that we would need to make the car, you know, to get the carbonation and get them cold enough and counter pressure filling. And it was just way outside our budget. So we didn't actually do anything in the very beginning because it, I mean, it wasn't, in, it just wasn't in our budget, but we would make small batches from time to time and put them in a keg and hook it up with CO2 and literally carbonate it by shaking the keg. You know, I put it in a chest freezer every day, come out, shake it up, you know, and just by feel, oh, it's carbonated enough. And then we'd self-distribute them to like local bars who were just kind of in the know. Um, but we never really felt like, okay, this is it. We're ready to invest or we're ready to borrow money to get that equipment until we had one customer, one of our distributors in North Carolina asked for a cherry, cherry mead in a keg. And it was apple season and all that. So we ended up making a sizer, like a session sizer, which is apples and honey. That's, that, that's the term for that style. So we made a sizer with apples and honey and then back sweetened with cherry. And, you know, same thing, put it in kegs, shook it up, got carbonate and all that. Reached out to the distributor once it was done. And they're like, what, what cherry mead? And, you know, the one for that account. Oh, they went out of business. So now I've got this cherry sizer. And it was a pretty, for us at the time, it was, you know, like a 50-gallon batch, right, let's say. Which is not huge, but it was big enough that, you know. You're not going to throw it away. For us, I'm not going to throw it away. Right. So we're like, well, what do we do? And we're just like, well, let's just bottle it, you know, by hand. Like we had these homebrewing counter pressure fillers, one bottle at a time. You know, if you're a homebrewer, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a three-way valve and a thing coming out and a pressure relief valve and stuff. And just one bottle at a time, we bottled them up. My cousin illustrated like some stuff on his whiteboard at home and sent us a picture on his flip phone. And that became the first label for Zombie Killer. We released it one weekend during our free tastings and stuff in our warehouse. And the line was around the building. And we were just like, you know, that line and jaws, like, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> uh, and that's when that happened. And that was 2011. Once that happened, we're like, okay, we've got something here. This, the, the Walking Dead TV show, I don't think was even out. This was all kind of inspired by the graphic novel of The Walking Dead before the show. And, or maybe the show is just about to come out or something like that. Anyway, we said, all right, this is it. We, 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 up till then, we had done it all on our credit cards. We'd financed everything on our credit cards. We went to the bank, borrowed about $100,000 for some used equipment. And so once we had gotten the bright tanks and the counter pressure fillers to make Zombie Killer, uh, that gave us the opportunity then to make and develop all these other brands, these other flavors of session meads we started doing. And of course, naturally, the progression was, well, we're bringing in apple cider to make the Zombie Killer. Well, why not make some ciders as well? It was just, you know. That's awesome. I love it. You guys have had the opportunity to create some really iconic beverages right um are you able to use any kind of michigan produce as you're crafting and creating these different oh sure and we do whatever we can 
for sure. Um, but my favorite though is like, do you use all you know Michigan honey? And I'm like, well, no, you can't get orange blossom, you know, from Michigan. And I'm like, why not? And I'm like, well, we don't grow orange trees here. <laughs> you know, I think what's fascinating to me is is that the honey from all these different floral sources all tastes different. And you know, until you get into really making meads, you don't really think about that. We go into the store and we just see honey. You know, we don't see it as the flower. But when you have an area of like a monoculture like Florida has of orange groves, when they're blossoming, you put beehives out there and all the honey is going to be from the nectar of those orange blossoms. And just like different flowers all smell different, they also taste different if you think about pulling that sweet nectar out of them. And that's what becomes the honey. So the, the, the nectar of each flower absolutely is a huge influence on the flavor, the color, the aroma of those honeys. Um, but we do have to go outside of Michigan for sure. The big challenge also with, with you know, buying strictly from one location was, you know, it, it, the example I, I kind of use is in 2012 with the frost that killed off nearly all of the apple and cherry in Michigan. Mm. And what really <laughs> was really difficult to get over was the fact that we had just invested in all that equipment to make zombie killer. And here we are coming into this year 2012 and all this apple and cherry that we're accustomed to getting from here, you know, in the first year, all of a sudden became unavailable. And we had to figure out where are we going to get our apples? Where are we going to get our cherries? And we kind of experienced for the first time as a, as a supplier, as a, as a maker of, of this, you know, these meads, these ciders and stuff. It's like, wow, we're very susceptible to agricultural difficulties, I guess you could say, weather anomalies and stuff. And if our retailers, wholesalers are going to be able to rely on us to have product all the time, so the shelves aren't empty. We have to make sure we have ingredients all the time. So we kind of learned how to diversify um, and, and find things from different areas, how to maintain quality control. It was one of those really difficult like business lessons, life lessons, I guess you could say, and not putting all your eggs in one basket. Man, that could be really eye-opening. It was tough. We had to bring apples in from South America. We found a company in New Jersey that had not just cold storage, but also in a fruit press. So all of the apples were being shipped because everybody in Michigan shut down. There was no apples. So like we couldn't get apples even pressed at, certain, at a certain point at that time. We found a company in New Jersey. We shipped them all these like 300 gallon plastic totes. You know, they, they brought apples in from all over down in like Argentina and stuff into Jersey, pressed all the apples, filled these totes and put them in their freezer storage. When we needed to make a batch, we'd have them ship, you know, X number of these totes from Jersey to Michigan. They would thaw on the way, and then we would make the, the product once it arrived. The cherry, when we first started, we had no idea how much we were going to sell. So they asked me to forecast for them. So the 2011 crop, I had forecasted so much that it actually got me all the way through 2012 from the 2011 crop that they had, and I had had them reserved for me. But they told me by July, they said, if you don't pay up front for the 2011 crop that you still have, and this is like uh, cherry juice concentrate from like Traverse City, they're in 55 gallon drums. 
They're like, if you pay for all of it now, we will hold it for you and ship you drums or two at a time as you need them. That got us through the entire 2012 crop year until the 2013 crop was available, just because we had accidentally over forecasted. But we had wow. come up with like $45,000 like within a month. And that was fun. Wow. So uh, to say this company was originally stitched together with bubble gum and duct tape was, is not entirely inaccurate. You guys have, have really made made the most of it. I mean, so I don't know that I've ever seen your seltzers. That's one of the next things we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that I've seen bee nectar seltzers. Is well, that probably not? We uh, we actually have branded them differently. We, you know, having been a, like self distributing ourselves, that was amazing for me personally because I I actually got to experience life through the eyes of like your account managers, for example. And one of the things that I felt, and maybe this isn't always true or true now as it was then, but a lot of retailers, they don't want to just fill all their shelves with the same brand. They like having a variety of things. And so for one reason, for that reason, and, and also the, the fact that we don't know whether doing seltzers would diminish the value of the bee nectar name and how would people look at that? We thought, well, let's put this out under a different brand name. and. The brand name we picked is kind of as weird as we are. It's called Tabbycraft. And it's our Tabbycraft, you know, line of, of craft hard seltzers. Uh, I've seen your cans on those. I've seen the Tabbycraft with the, the beers. I've, uh, you guys pick these super cute cats, put them on the cans. They're super identifiable, easy to get, grab attention. And like... Yeah, it's- it's all about sticking out. The market, it, it can be so saturated at times. When, when Carrie and I were first starting the company, we would go into a store and we would actually go to the wine department because everything's a single facing in wine, right? So the idea is you look at that shelf and you go, what pops out? Why does it pop out? Because we always had this philosophy that, that kind of goes like, the first step is to get them to see it. The second step is to get them to pick it up and look at it closely. The third step is to entice them enough to then buy it. And once we do that, we think we got, we, you know, if, if then we can hook them because the product is good. But you've got to go through those first steps first. And some people, you know, they go, why cats? I'm like, you know, because who doesn't love a good cat meme or a cat video or what, you know, you just can't look away sometimes. Well, I feel like the way that it was done is uh, unusual enough to the like to the eye in what you typically see down, you know, the beer, the wine aisle that it you catches your attention. You're like, ah, what is that? Right. And that's, and that's that first step. No, it was just definitely ingenious. Uh, and then, you know, getting those liquid the lips uh, through that process, then then you have, you know, somebody that enjoys your brand because the, the juice is great. Uh, so, you could argue we were late to the market too. And, and I, I mean, I, I wouldn't even argue. I'd say we were late to the market as a like, let's just say craft beverage brand company, whatever, getting into the seltzer game. Our, our sales team knew it long ago, like dude, seltzer, seltzers. And we'd been looking at it. But I mean, I think Lee and I both were just like, why do another same old, same old, right? Like how do we differentiate? And 
you know, I think one day it just kind of occurred. It was like, you know, RTDs were starting to make inroads as well. And we go, we can't do spirits because we don't have the right license for it, but we could make seltzers with fuller flavor and like kind of inspired by a cocktail. And once we kind of hit on that theme of like seltzer with like real fruit and some kind of like spice or herb contrast to it, we had our, I guess, call it shtick, you know, we had this identity now. And that's when Lee and I kind of hit the lab and started developing the flavors that you're starting to see today. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the ingredients we, we've had for years in here, you know, making carbonated fruit, sessionable fruit beverages is something we've been doing for a long time. It's just a, a different approach than, uh, than the meat a little bit, but, uh, and on some terms, maybe just trying to back off from huge fruit flavors and to use them as a little more minimal. Uh, so it's a little more refreshing, but still using real fruit. You know, some of the other, I guess you'd say like smoothie type seltzers, <laughs> um, you know, and there's place for all that, but we're like, why let's be in that middle ground. Let's not try and fight on price. But we also needed something that would fill uh, the lower price point in the spectrum, like compared to our other meads and ciders. So, and then we're like, well, everybody's like 100 calories. But I'm like, yeah, but if you got bigger flavor, wouldn't you compromise with like 120 calories? You know, and so we're, 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 you know, I never want to be in like the, the, where everybody with big dollars is trying to compete, you know? Find a little niche and fill it is what I was always told. I love it. Do you have any advice or, I guess, selling points that you would direct towards, you know, since you really literally did this yourself and, and you know, having Steve here too, what, what, what talking points do you think helps get bee nectar products inside inside the brick and mortar getting it on the shelf what, what do you think would be like key Steve, talking points this i think um first of all it's it, getting it in the right section into the into the when you get it in the store right like um i know when we had those 500 mil bottles a lot of retailers will put them in in a bomber section or in the wine section and we noticed that when we get them into the cider section it takes up more space and so um, now we've got one skew taking up two shelf spaces versus when we had this when we had the 500 format bottles, we could have two skews uh, on the shelf and it takes up the same space as, as the cans. Um, so that's been a, that's been a challenge, but uh, having the variety um, is 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 key, and it's a gluten free option, and so that's that's a key to get into the door, and it's it's something different. And people are always looking for something different. I think those are the two big keys to get into the door. Sure. So to add to that, too, I, I go back to kind of the philosophy I've always had. And the, the easiest way to sell any of the bee nectar products, whether it's, you know, within the Tabby Craft family or the bee nectar family or, you know, our line of beers or whatever, is uh, to get them to taste it. We, we've always stro strove to, is that the right word? Strove. We've, we've always, our goal has always been to not try to just do something that is already out there. You know, if there's something in the market that's just like ours, chances are somebody actually copied off of what we did. Um, but the best way to get it under the shelves is to actually sample it out with the stores. 
um, they will then know it's different. They will then know the quality is good because you can tell them all day long. Just getting them to try it is great. That's why I go back to the whole like, you know, a broken case uh, that got damaged in shipping. It's perfect. Get it out. There. Get get some. Uh, ask the warehouse to send you some samples in the next order or whatever. You know, get those sample bottles from the warehouse, the sample cans, and and bring them to accounts and let people taste it because tasting the product is really the best way to get that idea that across to them. You know, we can tell them, oh, a cocktail inspired hard seltzer, and they're like, I don't know what that means, you know. <laughs> But they taste it, you know, like, for example, our uh, orange basil mule. It's uh, inspired by a Moscow mule. So it's got the lime and the ginger, you know, but really, I went online and I started looking for like variations on different cocktails for inspiration. And I came across one. It was like an orange basil Moscow mule cocktail. And it's like a recipe that some mixologist had come up with. And I'm like, I think we can make a seltzer that, that kind of has that same vibe. And, uh, you know, that's what became the orange basil mule. Um, you know, so getting people to just taste it is the easiest way to lubricate the sales process. Um, but beyond that, it's just kind of understanding what the differences are because it is unique and it will stand out. They just need to understand what that is so that they can communicate it to the, to the account. For sure. And if, you, if they have an account that wants to taste like, the whole be nectar line to get a hold of our sales team and we'd be more than happy to visit that account and help with the sale and sometimes it's hard to get a whole the whole product line of samples definitely reach out to our team and, and we'd definitely help with with reaching out to accounts as well yeah great point um as well as the fact that we can you know we're, we're always happy to, to do build backs on sample bottles you know, like we know that it doesn't all just have to come from broken cases you know uh we're 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 that we know that that's a cost of doing business. And so we, we definitely welcome uh, the buildbacks for samples. That's fantastic. Well, and making that commitment to get that liquid to lips is really important for, especially if you've got an account that just, they have no idea. They, they've never tasted it before. Flavor is important. Quality is important too. You know, and for the, the in that same kind of note, if there, if the customer ever has a problem, you know, look, we're a small company. We, we don't have like, a whole staff of lab people working on every little thing. And it's like, once in a while we'll get a, a can that has a bad liner and something will leak or whatever. No questions asked, swaps out with a different case. Always want to take sure, care of that customer and make sure that they get a good quality product, you know? And if, and if it's not, we swap it out. You know, we're, we're known for our consistency, but sometimes things happen that are outside our control. And we, A, want to know about it. And B, we want to make sure that that customer is taken care of. Yeah. You want to be able to make sure that they can still enjoy your beverage without dealing with a whole hassle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we want to make sure that retailer knows that they're going to get re, you know, reimbursed and all that. Then they'll feel comfortable saying, oh, I'm sorry to that, to that consumer. You're like, you know what? Here's another four pack to make up for it because they know they'll get one from you and you'll get it from, you know what I mean? That, that, that. Yeah. We just want to keep paying that forward. For sure. Now, Bryce uh, posed a question here that said, speaking of customers, right, uh, who are their customers and who are their fans? Is there a difference? Yeah, definitely. Um, we've always been known for these obscure, esoteric, inside joke kind of things with our labels. 
And I think the one classification, I guess you'd say, of our fans are those people who get it, who look at that label and go, oh, my God, that's from Breaking Bad or that's from the movie The Big Lebowski or whatever. And like we love to connect with people on not just like their taste buds, but in their intellect, in their mind, in their personalities. And when you can kind of connect with people in that way, you don't have a customer, you have a fan. You know, they, they, they really become loyal. Um, and we love that. And, and, and then we've got people who have no idea that zombie killer is B nectar, you know, because they've never turned the can sideways or really paid attention. Cause some people go, you know, I'm like, you know, we've talked to some random person like, Oh, where you were? I'm like, Oh, B nectar. My wife and I, no, I never heard of it. Like heard of zombie killer. Oh yeah. Zombie killer. You know? So <laughs> there's, there's definitely both sides and you can't be, both all the time. Um, so, you know, we welcome everybody. We embrace everybody. Some of the older 500 mil bottles had a little more write-up description uh, that maybe gave a little more reference. And now we switch to cans, uh, some of those you know, write-ups have disappeared. Yeah. So we still have some long-term fans who still remember those bottles. I miss the you old know, Necro you know, bottle. Oh, Black Fang, that's from Lost Boys, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, but we keep we try and keep up with the market, and sometimes it just kind of forces our hand to, you know, evolve a bit with the times. And, but uh, but yeah, I think that's where uh, I think that's where that difference really kind of stemmed from. Um, but you know, sometimes the flavor is all it takes to, to to make a fan. You know, but we always are trying to connect with somebody on some emotional level because let's face it. I mean, this is a this is a luxury product for people. You don't you don't need to drink this in your life. You know, if if you really really enjoy it though, um, and keep coming back to it, like that 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 means everything to us. You know, so. Oh, I think you need to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. You know. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Imperial Beverage Presents Another Round. This episode extended a little bit longer, but it's okay. It's a great story. Tune in next week for the rest of the story on Bee Nectar. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.